2 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning in verse 1. The scripture says, It is doubtless and not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Now, most theologians believe that the Apostle Paul is talking about himself, even though he's talking in the third person. And the reason why he's talking about himself is because he wants to take the spotlight off of him. He goes on and he says this, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might deserve, though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me, or to be, or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to focus today on this little phrase that the Apostle Paul says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What a strange way to describe a thorn in the flesh given to me. It almost sounds like he looks at this thorn as a gift, and the reality of the matter is he does. Today I want to talk to you about the gift of an enemy, the gift of an enemy. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to every heart here at our production campus and at all of our campuses through television, through wherever else people are tuning in from, would you speak your word to each heart and transform lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. The gift of an enemy. When we think about an enemy, we certainly don't think about a gift. An enemy is somebody to most of us who is evil, that causes grief and heartache and pain and trouble and all that kind of stuff. And um, as, as difficult it is, as it is to see your enemy as a gift, your enemy is a gift to you in many ways. And that reality is difficult to comprehend. And so it becomes hard for us, for example, to follow certain scriptures like Matthew chapter 5 that says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I'm like, amen to that. I like hating my enemies. I don't see them as, as gifts. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It says, but I say to you, love your enemy and bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. And when I read that scripture, like many of you, I think that's one of the scriptures I'm not going to obey. I'm going to avoid that scripture, pretend like it's not in the Bible. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know you pretend like there are certain scriptures that are just not in the Bible, that you're just going to refuse to obey because they seem too difficult or maybe they challenge your flesh too much. And this is one of those scriptures. But call me crazy. I believe that God can use 
even our enemies that are sent to buffet us. The apostle Paul said, this thorn in the flesh was given to me to buffet me. I believe God can send even our enemies that are supposed to be buffeting us to be a blessing to us. I believe in a Romans eight twenty eight. God, it's my favorite scripture in all the Bible, how God takes all things and works them together for our good. And that means the good things and the bad things. It means the easy things and the hard things. It means our friends and yes, even our enemies can be a blessing to us in our lives. And before going to our text, I want to establish this truth by looking at some of the things that Jesus said about friends and enemies. He had some interesting perspective on friends and enemies. You might recall in Matthew chapter number 16, that Jesus is having this conversation with Peter. And it's, it starts off as a great conversation. He looks at Peter and he says, in essence, Peter, you are the rock. And upon this, I, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to use you to build my church in a big way, Peter. You're stable and you're, you're mighty. Isn't it great that God calls Peter, who denied him three times, a rock, stable and mighty? How many of you know God looks past our mistakes and looks to our potential all of the time? And so he calls people some, Peter something that he knows he's not. And so he he says to Peter, he says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And, and everything seems like it's going real good. And Peter's probably feeling great about himself after all. Who wouldn't love to be called Rocky? My favorite movie of all time, by the way, Rocky. I mean, don't you come out just swinging in that movie? You want to hit something. And so Peter is thinking, I'm just, I'm just great. This is amazing. Jesus thinks highly of me. And then Jesus says, but Peter... I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to give myself over to, to die on a cross for you. And Peter says, no way, not you, Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter at that time? Look at it with me. It's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What amazes me is Jesus calls his close friend... Peter was in Jesus' inner circle, one of the top three relationships in Jesus' life outside of his immediate family. He calls his friend Satan. In essence, he says to his friend, you're my enemy at this moment. Interesting how Jesus could have a different look at friends and enemies. And then you might recall when Judas, who betrayed Jesus with an unholy kiss... He betrayed Jesus with a hypocritical kiss. He betrayed Jesus by acting as though he was on Jesus' side. And the whole time he was against Jesus, trying to turn him over to the authorities. And how many has ever had somebody like that in your life, right? Pretends to your face like they are for you, but behind your back they're, they're working against you all the time. And he goes to Jesus and he betrays him with this holy kiss. And then Jesus says something interesting to his enemy. Listen to what he said. Matthew 26, verse 50. He says, do what you came for, friend. I mean, I don't know what's up with Jesus. He's calling his friends Satan. He's referring to his friends as enemies. He's, he's referring to his enemies as friends. What does Jesus know about friends and enemies that we are missing? Jesus understands that a friend is anybody who helps you to fulfill your destiny in Christ. And an enemy is anybody who stands in the way of your destiny. And so I've determined long ago that just because somebody does something against me doesn't mean that they're working against my destiny. And the reason for that is oftentimes God will use what they meant for evil for my good. And God will push me further into my destiny and he'll do the same for you. And so today what I want to show you is I want to show you how your enemy 
can be an absolute gift in your life. Goliath was a gift that pushed David to the throne. Pharaoh was a gift that pushed Moses to be Israel's deliverer. Haman was a gift that pushed Esther to go before the king and save Israel. Potiphar's wife was a gift that sent Joseph to the prison so he could wind up in the palace. Judas was a gift that pushed Jesus to the cross. I want you to know that your enemy can often be a gift in your life that will push you further into your destiny. And I want to show you some things that we can all look at that show us that our enemies can be a gift in our life. Matter of fact, I want to begin with just kind of like a a scripture everybody knows. You've heard it before. It's in the greatest sermon ever preached. Not the one I preached last week. The greatest sermon ever preached is the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember Jesus is preaching and he gives what we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are better known as the be blessed attitudes. In other words, this is how you can be blessed. And in the Beatitudes, he says this about blessing. He says blessed or empowered to prosper in every area of your life are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, can I just stop there for a minute? Anybody ever been persecuted? Persecuted, persecuted. I want you to know you're not blessed if you're just blanket persecuted. You're only blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness. See, some people get persecuted because of their own stupid choices. You're not, you're not blessed because of that, right? You're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness, for standing up for God. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Watch this. Because of me, because of Jesus. When people are saying all sorts of evil against you and insulting you because of boneheaded things, you're not blessed because of that. You're blessed when they say it because you're doing the right thing for Jesus. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if I just read that scripture correctly, it tells me that I'm blessed if I'm persecuted, if people gossip and lie and say false things about me and insult me and about you and about me and about everybody for the kingdom of God's sake. Well, I don't know about you, but that means I need an enemy. Because friends don't insult you and friends don't persecute you for Jesus and and friends don't gossip about you and friends don't lie about you. True friends don't do any of that. And so that tells me in order for me to be blessed and powered to prosper in every area of life, I need a good enemy. So you ought to get excited about your enemies. When an enemy comes into your life, instead of looking at them as an enemy, you ought to look at them, especially if they're persecuting you for Jesus. Say, do what you came to do, friend. Friend, why have some confidence that God can take anything that the enemy throws at you and turn it around for good. And so Jesus is telling us over and over again that our enemies can be a gift to us. The apostle Paul said, an enemy, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. I don't want to spend any time talking about what the thorn in the flesh um, was and, and is. And I think that in, in a large way, it doesn't matter that much because how many of you know we all have thorns in the flesh? Anybody got a thorn in the flesh? That's another way of saying a thorn in your side. Don't look at your spouse like that. How dare you do something? And we all have thorns in the flesh, right? We all have enemies who come into our life, enemies. And I don't want to spend any time on that. We did that in the message that I taught about heaven. And so if you need to know what it was, the Bible clearly says what it was. It was a messenger from Satan, an angel from Satan that that came to buffet Paul or to try to stop Paul. But the fact of the matter is didn't stop Paul. Matter of fact, pushed Paul further into his destiny. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that. What I want to spend some time doing is 
considering why Paul saw this enemy as a gift was given to me. And he did because look at what he said about this enemy. He said, therefore, most gladly, even though I've, I've got this, this thorn in the flesh, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. This is almost sadistic. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Interesting. Paul has this just totally different perspective on enemies. He, he's almost excited about his enemies. He, he's almost relishing these enemy opportunities in his life. He understands something about these enemies. And he said, that I, I, this enemy which was, which was sent to hold me up actually wound up pushing me up. This enemy which was sent to, to keep me down actually wound up causing me to go higher. He was excited. He knew that enemies can be a gift in our lives. And here's what I want to prophesy over you. And, and I know this is for somebody, somebody right now who is being buffeted by your enemy. I want to prophesy to somebody who's pleading with God to remove that thing and make it stop. Somebody who, who's saying that I can't see anything good coming out of this particular thing. Somebody who thinks that this enemy has been sent into your life and it's going to cause a catastrophe in your life. I want to prophesy to you and I want you to know that God is on your side and that God is going to take what was meant for evil and he's going to use it for your good. And that which was supposed to be a burden is going to be a blessing. Hang in there long enough. And so the Apostle Paul is, is letting us know. Matter of fact, listen to what he says. He said, when I, when I pleaded with God about this and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Look at what he says. He says, as soon as I heard this, I was glad to let it happen. Message version. I quit focusing on the handicap and begin appreciating the gift. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it just, that's how you get victory in your life. So many times what happens is when an enemy comes into our lives and we experience some of the adversity of, of an enemy, we focus on the handicap. And when you focus on the handicap long enough, you become someone who walks around with a victim's mentality. And when you walk with a victim's mentality, you can never walk in the victory that Christ wants you to have. And so the Apostle Paul said, when God showed me the flip side, when God showed me the underbelly of the enemy. How many of you know every enemy's got an underbelly? The underbelly of the enemy is the weak spot. It's the soft spot. It's the part where if you can get to the underbelly of the enemy, you can destroy that enemy. And he said, when God showed me the flip side, the underbelly, when God showed me that even though this was set to make me weak, it's going to wind up making me strong, I stopped focusing on the handy. And I started focusing on the gift. Your enemy is a gift. Your enemy is a gift. No pain, no gain. No resistance, no strength. No agony, no ecstasy. No weight, no muscles. Your enemy is a gift. How so? I want to give you a couple of things that you can focus on about your enemy that will help you to know your enemy is a gift. The no number one thing is this. Our enemy reminds us is a gift because our enemy reminds us that we are on the right track. Our enemy reminds us we are on the right track. Indiana Jones had to go through three guarded tests of fate to get to the Holy Grail. Frodo had to go past the demon creature named Belrog to destroy the ring. Thor had to defeat Surtur in order to save his people. The Rebel Alliance had to go through the evil empire in order to save the galaxy. And Shrek had to go through the donkey in order to get the princess. 
It's a fact, right? Children of Israel had to go to the giants in order to inherit the promised land. Joshua had to conquer the fortified walls of Jericho in order to get into that city. Thomas had to conquer his doubt in order to get back into fellowship with the Savior. Zacchaeus had to defeat his greed in order to be saved. David had to go through Goliath in order to become king. And Jesus had to go through hell in order to become the resurrected Savior. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that your enemy is an indication that you are on the right track track, not the wrong track. Matter of fact, your enemy is a signpost and not a stop sign. When we see enemies, what do we think? Oh, let me stop. Let me back up. Don't, don't be so weak. Don't, don't be so easy to persuade. Don't let the enemy just show up to cause you to back up. When you see the enemy, press forward. No, that's exactly where I need to go. The reason why the enemy is standing in the way of that thing is because behind that thing is the promise that God has for me. And so I'm going to press on. I'm not going to let that enemy dissuade me. I'm going forward stronger and harder than ever before because behind that enemy is the destiny that God has for me. Do you know that the enemy won't bother with you if there's no destiny for you? Matter of fact, the greater your destiny, the greater your assignment, the greater your adversity. The enemy doesn't bother with people who are not important uh, to the kingdom of God, who are not significant to the kingdom of God. You might remember the story in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, they're bringing handkerchiefs to the apostle Paul, weren't they? And, they, and he's praying over the handkerchiefs and the aprons. And then they're sending them to sick people and laying them on sick people's bodies. And the sick people's diseases are leaving and, and demons are being cast out. And then there are these seven sons of a guy by the name of Shiva who see the apostle Paul doing this. And they think that is so cool. And so what they try to do is they try to live off of the apostle Paul's power. They try to live off the Apostle Paul's revelation. And so they go over to the demons and they lay their hands on the demons and they say, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. How many of you know you can't live off of somebody else's revelation? That's why it's good to come to church and it's good to get me to teach you some things and it's good for you to be inspired by me. But you can't live off my revelation. You've got to get your own revelation. God's got to speak to your heart. God's got to do something in your life. And so they lay their hands and they say, we adjure you by Paul, by, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And you know what the devil does? The devil talks back and says, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who in hell are you? How many of you know if you are not well known in hell, the devil's not going to bother with you? But when you're well known in hell, the enemy will get in your way. And the enemy will try to trip you up. And the enemy will try to stop you. And so the next time you see an enemy standing in your way, look boldly and look strongly and say, do what you came to do, friend. Because what you meant for evil, God is going to use for good. Behind you is my destiny. Your enemy is an indication that you are on the right track the second reason why, oh man, this book, this book is good. I wouldn't leave here today without getting it. I'm just playing with you right now. The second reason why our enemy is a gift is because our enemy pushes us to pray. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said concerning this thing, this thing that was given to me, this, this, this enemy that came into my life. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times to remove it. Now, contrary to popular belief, God didn't say, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. But here's what God did say. God did say, I'm not going to remove it, but I'm going to give you grace to go through it. 
And, and can, can I have any honest people who say to me, you know what? When everything's going right in my life, I hardly ever pray. But when an enemy shows up in my life, oh, I get my prayer life back real quick. Anybody honest about that? And is it just me? I mean, I know you all think I'm stuck in my prayer closet 24-7, but I'm just as human as everybody else. And when everything is going okay, it seems like that intimate place of prayer and communion and fellowship with God seems to go by the wayside. But as soon as an enemy pops up again, does anybody else run right back to their prayer closet? Anybody else start praying morning, noon, and night, every opportunity you get when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're praying. The apostle Paul said this, that because my enemy, because an enemy came into my life, I prayed a lot about it. Not just every minute, but every second. Not just every hour, but every minute of every hour. Not just every week, but every day of every week. I was praying all the time about it, and I learned something. My enemy has a way of giving me my prayer life back. See, that's what enemies do. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about it in the message version. He said, Satan's angel did his best to get me down when all he in fact did was push me to my knees. That's a powerful verse. He did his best to get me down. But I love, I, I love the wording in the message. But, but he wound up pushing me to my knees. Would anybody say sometimes, Pastor... I need to be pushed to my knees. I don't, I don't just freely pray like I know I should. Even though God says, even though Jesus told me, men ought to pray always and without ceasing. For some reason, I really thought Jesus was kidding about that. And so I don't really pray all the time. But somehow, someway, when an enemy comes into my life, he pushes me to my knees. And when he pushes me to my knees, he gets me to a position where he thinks I was weak. But when I'm weak, then I am strong. Because when I'm in my prayer position, I'm not using the weapons of this world. I'm using the weapons that are not of this world. Our weapons are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds pushes me to my knees. He pushes me to prayer. See, our enemy is a gift because he pushes us to pray our enemy is a gift, number three, because he forces us. I'm using these words very intentionally today. Push and force. Don't look at me in that tone of voice like you are so compliant. Like all God has to do is whisper something to you. And you're like, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. God, you don't have to ask me twice, right? Sometimes God's got to push, and sometimes God's got to force. The enemy, number three, it's a gift because he forces us to rely on God. You know, one of the reasons why the enemy forces us to rely on God is because enemies cause pain. That's just the nature of enemies. The enemy, the thief, the Bible says, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't play with the devil. Can, can I just kind of throw a little holiness into this teaching? I know you all won't like hearing about holiness. I know the church thinks holiness is just optional, you know. Don't, don't play with the devil. The devil ain't looking to just, you know, spar with you a little bit. He's not looking. The devil's looking to kill you. He's looking to knock you out. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, but I know where to draw those lines. You know, I'm not going to let it go too far, you know. Let me, let, sin will always take you further than you want to go. Make you stay longer than you want to be there. Make you pay longer, more than you were willing to pay. That's what sin will do. Don't play. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. And so what happens is the enemy causes pain. 
And when the enemy causes pain, what do we do? We run to God. Why? Because we want the pain to go away. Pain, pain, go away. Come back another day. Is that how it goes? No. It's rain, rain, go away. But how many of you know it's pain, pain, go away, right? That's what we want in our lives. We want to get rid of the pain. And so we run to God. And, and did you ever notice that, that when pain is in our life, how, how willing we are to obey what God says? Most of us read the Bible like it's a book of suggestions. And to some extent, I guess it is because we have a free will, right? God is not going to force us to do anything. But really, God is not suggesting these things for our life. He's telling these, these are the things that you need to do in your life. And if you do these things, life is going gonna, is gonna to work better. It doesn't mean it's going to be problem-free, but it's going to work better. And most of us think, well, that's a suggestion, and that's a suggestion. And yeah, I like that one, but now that's a little inconvenient. And now that doesn't work for me at this particular time. I'll come back to that in five years and see if it works for me. Or if I'm dating right now, you know, I, I, know, I, I, I know that's from marriage, but, you know, I, I don't feel like that. Okay. It's, you know, all these things that we go through because we look at a book of suggestions. But as soon as pain comes into our life, it's like, oh, oh so, sorry, God. You know I, know, I know you've been talking to me about that a long time. God, I'm going to do that right now. And here's the funny thing about us is that as soon as the pain leaves, we're like, well, I'll just go right back to doing it again. And, and, and amazing how attentive we are. Yes, sir. God, you don't have to tell me twice. God, oh, it's, it's Friday, God. I, can I bring my tithe to the church today, God? How come y'all didn't like that one? Just a few. God's been telling you to bring it on Sunday for a long time, but now there's pain. Like, can I get it there on Friday, God? God, I'm gonna get, can I get that online right now? Let me get that online right now, God. It's amazing how obedient we are when pain comes into our lives because we want the pain to go away. We become less self-reliant and more God-reliant. In, in the mountains of Kazakhstan, there is an ancient tradition taught um, from one father to their sons and, and as they use eagles to hunt. And what they do is they wait for the eagle to be just out of the shell, and they snatch it out of the nest. They put a hood over it. And then what they do is they put these baby eagles in a cage that swings constantly. It doesn't stop moving. The cage just always goes like this. And so for the first three days of that baby eaglet's life, it is disoriented. It can't see. It can't get its balance. And, and the master, the trainer, all this trainer does is sing to and speak to that little baby eagle. And then after three days of disorientation, it pulls it from the cage and it takes the hood off of it and it begins to stroke the eagle and it begins to feed it by hand. And because that is the person who restores balance takes the pain away. There is an everlasting bond that is formed between that master hunter and that eagle to the point at which that bird never needs to be put in a cage or never needs to be put on a leash and will always come back to its master. And you've seen this before as people hold out their hand like this and the bird will just fly right to it. Why? There was a bond that was created because the master caused the pain to stop. And you know what God does? God sometimes will use the pain of the enemy in order to cause a bond to form between us and the Lord. So that all we ever do is oh, we're attentive to His voice. So there is a bond that is there for life. So that no matter how far we stray, so God will just hold out His arm like this and we'll just come right back to Father's house again. And so God uses the enemy to force us to rely on Him. To force us to live that life of dependence which is so, so absolutely necessary. The fourth reason why your enemy is a gift is because our enemies empower us 
to become our best. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10 says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, this enemy set to make me worse is going to make me better. This enemy set to make me weaker is going to make me stronger. This enemy set to take me out is going to take me higher. This enemy set to separate me from God is going to wind up causing me to get closer to God. This enemy that was set to push me down is going to force me to my knees. This enemy set to bring out the worst in me is going to bring out the best in me. Have you ever noticed that when people get divorced about three months after the divorce, they start looking better than they've looked in years? <laughs> Anybody ever noticed that before? All of a sudden, like people have been you know, married for like 15, 20 years, they get a divorce, and in three months they lose like 30, 40 pounds. All of a sudden, they start putting on makeup, and the guys start hitting the gym, and, you know, all them old wrinkled clothes that are out of style, all of a sudden, they be going and getting their shop on and stuff like that, and they got it, the hairdo changes, and start combing their hair for the first time, and, and the ladies start painting their nails, and the guys start shaving, and they, they start dyeing their beard. What's wrong with dyeing your beard? <laughs> and all of a sudden, they start looking good. I mean, just, why? Because their spouse has become their enemy and their enemy has now brought out the best in them. By the way, a whole other sermon. What if you just lost 30, 40 pounds, started dyeing your beard and painting your nails and putting on nice clothes while you were married? Get an amen from over here. Maybe if we did some of that, we would not have as many divorces as we have. My point is simply this, that our enemies bring out the best in us. You know, one of the things that one of my son's baseball coaches used to do when they were preparing for a big tournament is he would bring them to uh, the cages and he'd make them face this pitching machine from like 40 feet away that threw like 90 miles an hour from 40 feet away. And it was like, dude, they're never going to face any pitching like this. And I said to the coach one time, I said, this is ridiculous. Hardly any of them can hit this kind of stuff. He said, don't worry. When they get in front of the pitching that is, isn't as strong as this, guess what will happen? They'll just tee off on it. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. That, that, that working, that adversity brought out the best in them. A couple of years ago, I went through one of the most difficult seasons in my life, but you would have never known it. And the reason why you would have never known it is because I preached my greatest service sermons during that season. And the reason why I preached my greatest sermon during those seasons was because of what the adversity was doing. The adversity was causing me to pray every moment, every second, every day, every hour. The adversity was causing me to rely on God. The adversity was causing me to not make any decisions without first checking on the Lord. The adversity was causing me to spend time in prayer and to spend time in worship like I don't ordinarily do, to go above and beyond that closeness with God. And so God was bringing messages out of the mess and he was bringing a great anointing out of the adversity because that's what God does. God brings the best out of us through the worst of circumstances. Our enemies empower us to become our best. Matter of fact, our enemies bring out glory from our lives. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 says for our light affliction which is but for a moment that's a good word for somebody right there. What you're going through is not going to last forever. It's, it's an old cliche, but it's so true. Time heals. Better way of saying it, takes the sting 
out of all wounds. Doesn't mean you don't remember it. Doesn't mean it still doesn't hurt a little bit. But it gets better because God's on your side. It says, for a light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you know what the word glory means? The word glory literally means image. It brings out a different image. Anybody ever watch American Idol, The Voice? Um, back in the day, it was Star Search. Now it's America's Got Talent. Anybody ever watch any of that stuff? Have you ever noticed that the people that make it to the end don't look anything like they looked at the beginning? Right? They change their hair. They change their clothes. You know, they just change their whole... Because they have people who are working with them on their image. They're helping their image to match with the star status that they are trying to get them to achieve. Do you know what I know God does? God transforms our image when he's ready to make us into a star in the kingdom. And do you know how God does that? He transforms our image by using our enemy to make us more like Jesus. And the closer we get to becoming a star in the kingdom, the more and more like Jesus that we become. And the way that God does this is through what's known as the refiner's fire. Anybody know what that is? They take gold and silver. And they throw it into this, 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 this really hot fire and they melt it down. And as they melt it down, all the impurities from the gold and all the impurities from the silver begin to float to the top. And then the, the refiner begins to scoop them away. It's called the dross. He takes it out of the way. And he keeps scooping all the impurities, all of the imperfections. By the way, that's what God wants to do in your life. God wants to keep taking away all of the stuff that is not like Jesus and keep taking all of the stuff that is not like Jesus. And, and it keeps you in that, allows the enemy to keep you in that fire as the impurities are coming to the surface. And how does God know when it's time to take you out of the fire? He looks, if he can see his reflection, if he can see his image, out you come. See, here's what God is doing. Here's why our enemy is a blessing. Because our enemy who is sent to separate us from God winds up making us look more like the Savior. Isn't that what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. It was turned up seven times hotter than it normally was. The king looked in and he said to his servants, he said, didn't we throw three men in here? And the servant said, yes, sir, we threw three. He said, well, I'm looking and I see four. And the fourth looks like onto the Son of God. How many of you know that that fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through helped Jesus to be reflected from their life? Your enemy is not a curse. Your enemy is a blessing because your enemy will be used by God to make you look more like Jesus. And that's exactly what God wants for your life, to help you look more like Jesus. Here's my final thought for today. If God doesn't fix it, God is going to use it. If God doesn't fix it, and if God doesn't remove it, God is going to use it. Paul said, I prayed three times. He said, here's what's God's answer. I'm not going to remove it, but I'm going to give you grace to go through it. What was God saying? God was saying, I'm not taking it out of the way, but I'm going to use it in your life. And this is what God does for each and every single one of us. Listen to this story as we wrap up. Once there was a village water bearer who was responsible to go down to the river and bring back water for the village. And he had these two ginormous pots, and he carried them on opposite ends of a pole that he rested on his neck. 
And he would go down to the river and he'd fill the water pots up. And then he would bring it back along this dusty path to the village. Well, one of the pots had a crack in it. And each time he would get back to the village, one pot would be completely full and the other pot would be completely empty. And at nighttime, the two pots would talk to one another. And the pot that was always full would brag and say how it was doing such a great job for the master and how it was serving the village so well. And it would make the crack pot feel really, really bad. And so the crack pot went to the master and said to the master, I don't understand why you won't just fix the crack in my pot. And the master said, let's go down and get water one more time, just me and you. And on our way back to the village, I want you to look alongside the dusty road and tell me what you see. And so he went back and sure enough, got the water, filled up the crack pot with the water and began to walk back. And the crack pot was looking and they got back to the village and the master said, what did you see? And the crack pot said, I saw all my water trickling out. He said, did you see anything else, the master? And the crack pot said, well, I saw all the beautiful flowers alongside of the dusty path. And the master said this, from the day that I chose you, I knew you had a crack, pot, crack in your pot. He said, but what I did was I, instead of fixing it, I used it. And I planted seeds along the dusty path. And every time we walked home, you watered those seeds. And now everybody in the village gets to enjoy the beautiful flowers because of the crack that was in your pot that I chose not to fix. If God is not going to fix it, and if God is not going to remove it, can I tell you what God's going to do with it? God's going to turn it into something beautiful. God is going to use it in your life for His glory. I don't know what your enemy is, but I know your enemy is a gift. Would you stand to your feet?